Welcome, as always, to the A Block, everyone. My name is Marshall Ferguson. Thank you for being here on Canadian Football Perspective. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. At CF Perspective is the best place to get a hold of us. And, of course, we are always updating cfperspective.com as well as we get closer and closer to the start of the CFL season. And if you want beer, ice-cold beer, delivered directly to your door in Ontario, you can do so from Sawdust City Beer. If you want to try any of their wide variety of beers, just go on to sawdustcitybeer.com. Use the promo code exclusively for you CFP listeners. It is CFL. CFL is the promo code to get free shipping on your first order over $100. Team up with a couple of friends in your neighborhood and give yourself an opportunity to enjoy some great football with some great beer. And of course, we cannot forget to thank our good friends over at Fox 40 as well. Got a promo code for you there. If you're a high school coach, if you are involved in sport at any youth level, hell, if you're a CFL official and you want to be able to uh, steal some money from the guys that make your uniforms these days, because there's some shiny new Fox 40 uniforms hitting the CFL gridiron, I think, this year. Go ahead and use the promo code CFP15. Get 15% off all of your whistle needs. Visit fox40shop.com and just enter that promo code CFP15. Today here on the A Block, extremely fortunate to be able to catch up with one of my favorite people. The first time that I got together with Mark Lee, it was the 2018 Yates Cup. It was a last second addition for me. I had played in the Yates Cup all the way up until 2014. Then I got into broadcasting, worked in radio 15, 16, 17. I'd always watch from afar. I believe one year actually when Guelph played against Western in London, I went down, was standing on the sidelines. I thought for the first time, man, it'd be a lot of fun to call this game. I love this game. I love the feeling of a Yates Cup, and it's <laughs> quite often been at TD Waterhouse down there in London, but anytime it goes anywhere, you feel the energy, you feel the crowd come in. I remember the Yates that I played in 2011, going down to Western, getting a win on their turf, there was nothing more rewarding. 2013, playing at home against Guelph, that felt fantastic. 2014, same thing. I mean, it's, you look at the history of it, you look at the excitement, the names that have gone through the Yates Cup, it means something. And so to get to call a game with Mark Lee was always a dream of mine. Well, I didn't get to call the game with him in 2018. I actually ended up working as the sideline reporter throughout that game. Had a lot of fun doing it. Chris Merchant's final Yates Cup victory was right there in 2018. And then in 2019, the OUA was nice enough to reach out once again and say, would you like to come back and do the Yates Cup? I said, absolutely but I really want to call a game with Mark Lee. So they gave me the opportunity, and we had a ton of fun being able to catch up before the game, talking about the game. He is one of the absolute best at what he does, the craft of play-by-play -play and knowing how to lead the audience and interest you right into the heart of the play, and he always, always, always delivers. I remember listening to him growing up, and it was a thrill to get to call a game with him, and that's how we began our conversation for you right here, a special Saturday edition of the A Block. I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did, catching up with the one and only Mark Lee. Thank you for making the time. Uh, it's great to catch up with you. It's been too long since I've been able to catch up with you because uh, the last time that I called a football game or did anything of consequence, I feel like we were working together on the 2019 Yates Cup, which was uh, very fun, very memorable. And of course, McMaster, my guys being able to take down Western. I don't think I showed any bias that day, though, did I? <laughs> no, you're very professional, Marshall. <laughs> it's hard to believe that's like been what? 16 months or whatever yeah it, yeah it has been wild for sure but you have uh continued obviously to be working and finding different things to do tell people what you are working on right now and why i'm thankful that you have squeezed me in between <laughs> uh two major events that are happening here because i would say 
Oh, wow, Mark. Yeah, it's, I guess you must be so tired of all these Zoom calls, but you're actually calling things in person still. You're still traveling around and doing stuff. So what are you up to right now? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's been kind of wild. I just got back from the Calgary Stampede, which is uh, 10 days of mayhem. As you know, uh, it's, it's wild. It's crazy. It's a whole different culture than we uh, experience out here, and it's just a blast. The people are fantastic, and the athletes are uh, unbelievably uh, uh, polite and uh, tough mm -hmm. uh, and talented. And so I did 10 days of that. Uh, that was my first time in a live sporting event since the Eights Cup because uh, everything else I've done, like, I, you know, with the sports world sort of coming to a halt, um, a lot of my events were canceled, including the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, or at least postponed. And then I ended up uh, doing uh, World Cup uh, and World Championship bobsleigh for CBC. And we did those. Uh, those came from Europe. And so we were live. I was in a, in a voiceover booth in Toronto. My analyst was in Calgary. And we're both looking at the same feed coming from, you know, Germany or, you know, Latvia, wherever they were competing that day. And the technology was so amazing that there was no uh, delays. We each saw the same video at the same time. And we went live to air. And, and of course, as you know, working in a broadcast booth, it, it, it becomes very essential to be able to see your partner and there's lots of hand gestures and you, you relate to each other, looking at each other, uh, share the same monitors, all that stuff. So in this case, you couldn't. And uh, so it was actually a, a thrill to be next to a real human being in Calgary and uh, and calling the, the stampede. And uh, in about less than a week, I guess five days from now, I get on an airplane for Tokyo uh, to, to be on site for uh, track and field coverage at the Olympics, uh, but that's going to be a, a whole other uh, ball game as well because of COVID. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been reading a little bit on what's going on in Japan and the lead up to it. And I, the thing that really shocked me leading up to it, Mark, was the the lack of vaccinations in Japan at the start of really vaccination worldwide, and it's especially in North America. We started to see our numbers. You were a little bit slow and then we started to really pick up quickly and you look at japan you're going okay industrialized nation with a, you know a great economy and the, on the world stage and they're proud of their consensus and this doesn't follow any of that what is your feeling going into japan and understanding as well as you do better than anybody what it's like over there that you head into with the best global sporting event yeah well um i'm actually I mean, it's, it's surprising that such a, a leading first world nation such as Japan is, is at the current stage it's at with regards to COVID. Uh, from what I understand, um, they approved only the Pfizer vaccine. And so for a country of 126 million, they're only about 25 to 30% first dose. And as you know, uh, the Japanese population is, is uh, skews fairly uh, senior. So it's a big concern for those folks, and I understand totally how how much trepidation they must have, having uh, you know fifteen thousand athletes and coaches plus another six to ten I don't know thousand media coming into their country. Um, but uh, it, it's it's meant for some very Orwellian um, precautions and protocols. Uh, I don't know if you want me to go through what we have, well, what, what we're going to go through. I'm interested what you're up against, like, because as a broadcaster, it's hard enough to go somewhere and call the event. And I'll get into my, right. for the fact that you can pick these things up and, you know, call international bobsleigh remotely with a person from Calgary on live television. Like that's the degree of difficulty on that is hard enough. Now add in 
blank? Like, what are you going into? Right. What is the, the added challenge and difficulty here? Okay, so um, what has to, I just came back from Toronto getting my first COVID test. So you have to have a COVID test 96 hours before your flight. Then tomorrow I'll be in Hamilton getting a second COVID test uh, 72 hours before my flight. Those then have to be put on official uh, Japanese government um, documents and notarized. And then we uplink those to a special app called the OCHA app. This is the, all the medical information. So our vaccinations will be on this app, these tests, then what's called a 14 day activity plan. And so the CBC submits that on our behalf, the Japanese government approves it. I received the approval two days ago. I then put that on the app as well. What that says is, um, I looked at it, um, I'm allowed to go from my hotel to the Olympic stadium. And then they've also included the International Broadcast Center and the main press center, because I'm gonna to have to go there once before the games begin to get some, some, some um, documents from, from the CBC. That's it. So you can't, so basically I'll be going hotel to the stadium. As soon as we arrive, the, the, the process through the airport's about five to eight hours because you have to go through so many stations with all of these documents and then they have to be official. There's QR codes you have to have scanned. It's quite a it's quite a rigmarole, but in, once you get on the ground, it's stadium, hotel, and back. That's it. You're allowed if you want to go to a corner store near your hotel, 15 minutes. Now, because because we're being tracked on this app, uh, you sign a waiver which says you can allow them to see where you like they can track you, and they'll know if you've deviated from this 14 day activity plan. And the reason it's 14 days is that that goes back to that quarantine. 14 day thing so after 14 days you are allowed if you're and once you've been tested to, to walk on the streets the other thing is, is that people are being encouraged to video foreigners on the streets and post it on social media to kind of you know in case you know just to prevent people from being out there it's kind of wild that the the broadcast situation is a whole other ball of wax to well, once we get to the stadium yeah i would imagine as much it, they're trying to prevent the ryan lochte in brazil situation uh but i mean i don't think that they would allow lochte to go roaming <laughs> go roaming around in japan at any time it sounds like but yeah. uh it does, yeah. it's interesting though because it does sound more like sochi like it sounds more like russian rule of people saying here's as you say, kind of draconian or, or Orwellian uh, kind of standards to, to put you guys into, even though like, you're doing everything properly, like you're preparing properly, you're, you're being as transparent yeah. as you possibly can. So uh, I have great respect for that. But I wanted to ask you about your ability to call so many different sporting events, because I'll be honest with you, Mark, like I love all sport. I love tuning into CBC Sports on a Saturday or whatever. And throughout any part of the year, the calendar and seeing our Canadian athletes competing with the best on the planet, but I couldn't call it. Like, I don't think that I could dive in and be like, bobsleigh, sure. Swimming, sure. Like I, I've, a lot of people made fun of Elliot Friedman when he had the flub at the Olympics, yeah. right? With swimming. And I didn't laugh at him at all because I went, I, there's no way I could, I, I wouldn't have even been able Hard. to take that opportunity because that is incredibly difficult and you know it as well as anybody. So explain to me two things. One, where the love for all of this stuff comes from and B, how the hell do you pull off calling all of these things? Because I think that that is a skill that I'm not sure I would ever have. 
Well, first of all, you underestimate yourself because I think you'd be able to do all kinds of different sports here. You're a very versatile broadcaster, so uh, don't limit yourself. And uh, and I'm sure we'll hear you uh, doing bobsleigh and volleyball and figure skating, whatever down the road. I for Equestrian. I put my name in the hat. So we'll There you go, Equestrian. That's something I haven't done. Uh, no, I, I've just been blessed with, you know, over, over the years that I've been at CBC uh, with an opportunity to, uh, to call different sports. And uh, believe me, uh, first time around, it's like taking a drink from a fire hose because you're trying to uh, get into the nomenclature of the event and the, and the cadence of the sport and then the who's who. And so, um, uh, you know, it was always kind of white knuckle wing and a prayer for me to once I, you know, started something new. But I've always loved uh, a variety of sports and trying to be a jack of all trades because that allows you to stay in the business. You know, if you can if you can do different things, it really helps. And um, but because CBC was an Olympic network for so many decades uh, and had so many world championship events, it allowed me to go from, you know, beach volleyball to volleyball to figure skating to, you know, wrestling to weightlifting, you know, all these different things. And, and it's so interesting when you start to learn about so many of these Olympic sports, you know, and, and, and what it takes to be a weightlifter and, and the intricacies of, the, of those events. And you get to know these experts who are your analysts who, who um, are so thrilled to share their sport with you. And, and so for me, that's, that's, that's sort of been the intrigue of my career is to uh, get to know so many different sports, even like rodeo and the Calgary Stampede, which is completely at the other end of the spectrum. It's, there's nothing else like it, right? But once you get into that world and you're not afraid to ask questions and, and let and people know that, you know, I, I, I need to understand what you're doing. They're so forthcoming with information, and it's uh, it's so rewarding. If, if you could only choose one to dive in and be an expert on Hockey Night in Canada, as you have been, or the CFL on CBC, as you've been, or to be that jack-of-all-trades, if your career could only go one direction, which one would you choose? Probably uh, jack-of-all-trades uh, because um, it keeps you fresh. It keeps you uh, on your toes because you're always into something new, and you don't ever feel like you're getting in a rut. But if I had to declare one one sport, it would probably be football because you know, like you played the game, love the game. I love you know the I love the way it's a it's a linear sport. It's like play after play after play, the strategy involved, all that stuff. So, I mean, I'll never get that out of my blood. That's clearly my favorite my favorite sport. But in terms of Olympic sports, um, track and field is something that I've come to really love and. Uh, it's a huge file because there's 48 different events um, and, and the amount of preparation is enormous for it because uh, when you're sitting at, at the track, you can have women's 400 meter, you know, heats going on at the same time, the men's pole vault qualifying is going on as well as the women's hammer throw. And then there's a medal ceremony and, you know, and you're just trying to keep up and your analysts are changing the commentator information board because you're looking at the blinking light to see what height, you know, uh, Duplantis is at and, and who's leading on the count back and it's it, and that keeps your mind really flowing but it's uh, it's like a five ring circus for sure yeah and I also I there's a lot of things that I associate your voice with in calling sporting events but one of my favorite things is track and field where you're getting to yeah. the final of the 400 the 800 the 3000 the 4 by one 100 200 whatever it might be and I love so much just the shot of 
you know, person in lane one, and you've got three little tidbits on them. Camera moves over, person in lane two, because it's so smooth and so natural. And it's just, here's the reigning world champion coming out of Jamaica. They've got the fastest time over the last six months. And it's, you must enjoy so much the preparation of just knowing I'm going to nail this tidbit, that tidbit, and then it's get out of the way, bang. And you're just sitting there and you're along for the ride. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, you kind of build up this this bank of, of knowledge uh, on everybody you can. And, you, you know, you, you usually you go about 30 deep in every event. Uh, and then we have um, a, a file called the Butler Notes, which come from a, a chap named Mark Butler, who's based in London, England. And he works with the BBC and the CBC and he updates his notes daily. So he works all night. And then what you get is you get 50 pages per session on every event, every athlete. And that's in addition to your own prep because it's impossible to take, just to show up and read his notes. There's just too much information there. Yeah. So what you're looking for is he'll tell you what that athlete did the day before in heat number three. It's all there because that's almost impossible to keep up with. You can't keep track of everything because you're live on the air, right? So he does that. And, and then, you know, uh, all, the, all the seasonal best, they might, there might be a seasonal best or a personal best or an area record set the day before in heat eight. Well, that'll be in those notes. So that's what keeps you completely, you know, pinned to the latest information. But the confidence you get, you know, as a broadcaster is in the preparation. So if you feel like, you know, you've got it, that you've got it in your head, then, then once the lanes come, that's when you get the tingle because um, there's a, there's a, there's a really interesting feeling when, it's time to race right and these athletes come out warm up and then it, once they're in their lanes you know you know in the 100 meters they're about to define their lives their their livelihoods in 10 seconds or less and and so there's that kind of tingle and there's a bit of a dance there where they they're introduced then the starter calls them to their blocks and then on their marks set and when the gun goes everything's i mean you can hear a pin drop yeah. thing that's going to be crazy here is there won't be any fans and I remember in the bird's nest in Japan, there were what, 80 or 90,000 people and you could hear a pin drop. And then when the gun goes off, it's kind of like this explosion of energy is released in the crowd and in the athletes, right? And it's kind of like a tidal wave to the finish line and you feel that it carries you, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's it, you know, this is gonna be a, a real adjustment in the sense that both the athletes and the announcers won't have a, a crowd to provide that theater. Has there been any interest in piping in any sort of crowd noise? I know that they've done that in baseball at the beginning of the pandemic right. and the NHL and all the rest, because yeah, that, that is certainly going to feel different for the viewer. Yeah, there is a plan now. Uh, they're going to uh, bring uh, sound from past Olympics. So uh, whether it's Rio or London or Beijing, uh, they're going to bring sound and they're going to fill the stadium with sound. And uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to uh, have it, uh, you know, have like the crowd reacts to the athletes and, and the and the moment at hand. So with this, they'll have to be up and down, kind of like what they did with hockey um, uh, and baseball and all the other sports. So uh, they will have some sound there to give the athletes a, a, at least some atmosphere. Um, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be really different. Well, it's intriguing. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what it looks like and listening to your call of all of that. Uh, the last one I want to ask you on the Olympics is, is there, is there a race? Because I love that tension that you're talking about, that release of emotion where it's just, it's go time and it's 10 seconds or less in the hundred and obviously longer than the others. But what's the race that jumps out for you that you've called where not necessarily great finish or Canadian that profiles, but where you just felt it? 
like the whole lead up to it. You're it just everybody was on edge. I guess the first one would have been Bolt's 100 meters in Beijing because he'd just come off setting a world record 9.72 seconds after a lightning and thunderstorm in New York in a Diamond League event. And he was, uh, you know, just this kid, this tall, lanky kid, and, and nobody really knew, you know, what was possible. And then when he ran 969 there, it, you know, I remember Donovan Bailey was in, in, in our booth area and he was shocked. Uh, so that and the way he did it kind of like celebrating over the last 10 meters and he could have gone even faster. Right. So that was pretty that 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 moment. I mean, there were 90,000 in the bird's nest. You could hear a pin drop. And then when the gun went off, the whole stadium was flashing with light bulbs and the crowd was roaring. And then Bolt did his you know did his thing. And so that gives me tingles. Um, you know, then a, a year later in Berlin at the World Championships, when he lowered his mark to 958, that was, again, fantastic. Wade Van Niekerk, the 400-meter world record that he set from lane eight in Rio. Imagine running in lane eight. In track and field, when you're in the stagger, lane eight is way out ahead of everybody else. You can't see anybody else in your race. So that's what they say you're running blindly. So you can't kind of look at other people, especially your key rival, to see how fast he's gone out over the first 200 meters. You're on your own. So he ran blindly. 400 meters, 4303, smashing uh, Michael Johnson's record. And that was uh, another great moment. So uh, you just never know where it's going to come. I think the 400 meter hurdles for men, uh, you know, is going to be interesting. Karsten Varholm, the uh, Norwegian who ran one 400 meter hurdles this year and broke the world record. I mean, he's first 400 meter hurdles at home at Bislett in Norway. He broke it. But Rye Benjamin, it's this American kid who's just a gorgeous, tall, striding uh, hurdler. He's so close to that world mark, and this is going to be one great race. And where they are in the stagger and who gets to measure off the other, it, it, it's going to leave a lot of drama on that track. Man, Mark, we just need to send you out for a PR tour for CBC Sports. Just tell everybody everything going into the – get everybody <laughs> fired up for it. Because, honestly, it's the Olympics are so unique and so different than any other event on the planet, it feels mm -hmm. like. And, uh, and listening to you talk about the athletes that come in, it's – it brings back a lot of fun memories about watching Olympics, whether I was younger, older, or otherwise. But uh, let's talk a little bit of football here, because this is the Canadian Football Perspective Podcast. Sure. And uh, take me back to Carlton Ravens quarterback, Mark Lee. Who was that? What was his playing style? What was he about? Well, um, I was just a, a tall drink of water coming out of high school uh, when I arrived at Carlton. And I ended up starting my first year, and I was like kind of really over my head and and uh, I think I weighed 185 pounds and uh, 6'2 and pencil neck and uh, <laughs> everything, everything seemed so fast. And of course, that year, the Ottawa Gigi's had 12 Americans in their starting lineup and they went wire to wire unbeaten to win the Vanier Cup. And the way uh, that was before the OUA was all brought together, there was the OQIFC, which was, you know, the Eastern Ontario teams, Queens, Ottawa, Carlton would play with McGill you know, uh, Concordia, Bishops, and Trois-Rivières. And uh, so we, we in, in that schedule, in that alignment, we played Ottawa twice, like the Panda game and uh, a home, whoever had home. Uh, and so that was a painful uh, kind of learning curve for me. Uh, learned a lot, but um, I probably, you know, I, I don't think, I, I didn't feel like I was ready for it. But anyways, I got through that and... Uh, uh, anyway, that was my, my style was sprint out, you know, like to throw on the run, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, that we, you know, there was, there was no shotgun back then. So you were behind the center, a lot of reverse pivoting, a lot of play action, then getting out of the backfield. 
Yeah, it sounds like uh, a lot of Russ Jackson uh, is <laughs> from under center and reverse pivot and turn and run for your life and hope that nobody's okay. on the on the backside from the conversations I've had with Russ and obviously watching a lot of his older games. But who did you emulate? Who did you look at? Because it's pretty rare for people that they just want to play quarterback. Usually quarterbacks, we fall in love growing up with someone mm -hmm. or something about the game. And then from there, it kind of inspires us. Yeah, well, you mentioned him, Russ Jackson, when I was really young. I mean, he was he was uh, sort of in his last years uh, with the Rough Riders, and I did love the way he he rolled and ran with the ball. And uh, uh, I remember coaches saying, "Don't pump." Russ used to always pump. You remember that he used to oh, pump. Yeah. And coaches say, "You don't don't pump, right? You know, you release the ball once. You don't you don't play that game." Uh, I, I enjoyed him. I like Pete Lisk. Pete Lisk was a quarterback with the Calgary Stampeders, yeah. and then ended up with the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, he he, uh, he was one of those guys that had the quick release, you know, and uh, was deadly accurate. And and so, uh, yeah, so those are the guys I, I, I emulated. And uh, I had two younger brothers who had decent hands. So we used to spend hours, you know, sprinting out and throwing bullets around. And uh, and it was a great way to, to get your uh, your 10,000 hours, you know. Yeah, no doubt. Lisk had a lot of success, obviously, in the early 70s with Calgary once it kind of cooled off for Russ and he ended up retiring, moving on to uh, being successful in just about everything else he's done. Isn't it incredible to you that it's been 50 years plus now since that 1969 Grey Cup? Because I, like I, I admit I'm born in '91, so I mean my timeline on this stuff is completely out of whack. But even for me, right. going back through and watching old Grey Cups, it's like you go through, you know, the '50s, and then you get through the '60s, you go, okay, the decade of Russ, and it's '60 with the Riders, and being able to see him in 66 win again and then 68 69 and you're kind of going through and you're you're realizing yeah. the timeline of it and then you go 70s so much history 80s so much history 90s so much, oh my god here comes flutie okay now we're into calvio now we're and it, it, the timeline is so far back on russ and yet he still feels so relevant to all of us who love canadian quarterback he does i mean i mean that was a time when the CFL was so big in my mind. I mean, I remember getting a black helmet and taping an R on it and white tape, you know, and, and everybody wanted to look like Russ put the 12 on the front and the back. And uh, I could name all, like, I remember Vic Washington and Margene Adkins and Bo Scott and Ron Stewart and Russ in the backfield. And, uh, oh, there's a Tom Pullen as, as we got into the seventies and then Tony Gabriel came to Ottawa with Clements and uh, and Holloway. I mean, there's two guys. When those guys came to Ottawa, I was just coming out of high school, and um, and I, I thought, wow, we, these guys. You know, I, I think today those those quarterbacks would probably have stayed in the NFL because the NFL was such a prototype. You know, big quarterback stay in the pocket versus these guys who were able to run and throw on the run, right? And that was kind of that was really exciting to see those guys. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I I went back to the Jackson as a kid and then uh, Holloway and Clements, um, even Billy Robinson coming out of uh, St. Mary's, you know, I had a chance actually in my when I just finished high school uh, in the summer before first year, there was a um, kinesiology uh, biomechanics uh, 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 study going on out of uh, the East Coast, one of the universities there. And they came to Ottawa with high-speed film, and they wanted to shoot uh, Clements and Holloway. And uh, Jerry Keeling was there at the end of his career, and of course Billy Robinson. They said we want two really young guys, so they brought. I came along with the Ottawa U quarterback, Eve Leclerc, and they made us take our shirts off, so everybody was just throwing with no shirts, and 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 they could like slow the film down. It, it, when they fired the film up, it sounded like a, a siren. It was that fast, 
and, and they, they could watch each one of your fingers come off the ball. And they were, what they wanted to do was break down the mechanics, the biomechanics of throwing a football. Like how does, how does a ball come out of your hand kind of backwards, right? And, and then, and be so accurate and, 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 and spin through the air. And, and, and so, and then they watch all the muscle tissue working too. So I never did get a chance to see that. I would have loved to have, but uh, I remember the Ottawa U quarterback had a little bit of a duck tail to his pass. And uh, they told him they were going to write him and tell him why and to help him with his, his release. But you know, wouldn't that be cool to like have someone video you like that with high speed film and then biomechanically kind of break down the way you throw a football. The thing I've always been amazed by in throwing a football, and I've talked with Bo Levi Mitchell about this a couple of, of months ago, was the biomechanics of human beings raising our arm to be this kind of vertical. And some guys kind of have that side slot, and some guys are down here, right. all the rest. But the yeah. idea of raising your shoulder up and putting that much tension on your shoulder, you ask mm -hmm. anybody who lifts weights, you're not supposed to do anything in this range of motion. And yet we've just decided, yeah. you know what? This is the best way yeah. to throw a football and we do it endlessly. And it's like, there's no wonder that guys end up going Tommy John with elbows in baseball and that quarterbacks have shoulder issues later in their career. Yeah. And the, some of the zip comes off the ball. It's like, your shoulder's not supposed to do that, but damn, right. is it ever fun when it goes correct? Isn't it? Like how many, how, how long did you throw a football before you got to McMaster? Like how many years? Uh, you know what? I, I threw it around with my dad and pretty consistently when I was a kid, but it, it, it that probably started really my love for it when I was maybe eight, nine, ten years old. I mean, other than that, it was yeah. throwing around a little Nerf football or something like that. And then, right. uh, but I never played organized football until grade ten. So right. I, I was fairly late in the game compared to some of my friends that had played, which I was thankful yeah. for because they got a, got burnt out. But yeah, it was. You, you fall in love with the process of getting ready and making those great throws. And then once you, you bite that bug, there's no going back. No. And it, isn't it, it's, it's just kind of a really pleasurable thing to watch the ball go. Right. If you went, especially if you've thrown it and you know, it's on target and it's, it's, it's a perfect spiral and, and it's just a, it's, it's a, it's a fun thing to do every day is just throw the football, and watch it go. Right. It's, it's a great, it's a great thing to do. Yeah. And that's why I, yeah. I was just going to say, I, I don't want to sound like I'm, uh, you know, 1970s Montreal sitting around with incense and all the rest, but sometimes I'll be watching a football game, Mark, and I'm sure that you've had this moment too, because you think about the game, it seems like a lot like I do a lot of the time when we have these conversations that sometimes I will see Jeremiah Masoli for the Ticats roll to his left in Montreal in 2019 and uh, he'll throw a back shoulder ball to rookie Jalen Acklin that lands perfectly low and away from the defender and he'll catch it and tap his toes and it's touchdown tie cats. Boom. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll be kind of like on the flight home or something like that. And I'll think, I think we take for granted the fact that the football just went from sitting on the ground, being yeah. sent through a 300 pound man's legs, being run around for a couple of you know seconds. And then thrown 35 yards into the only location that it possibly could have gone in the only way that it possibly could have been caught. Because if you throw it all wobbly, it's never getting there. It's not going to be able to get caught. And then it's going right. to get caught and it's going to be in the right spot at the right time. The receiver is going to make a good yeah. catch. That ball just traveled 80 yards in seven seconds and it led to yeah. points. And sometimes it's just mind blowing to me that we take for granted. Okay. the Yeah. You say, okay, the nice throw, nice catch. The amount of work and the amount of, of art that goes into having a football travel that distance and just happen to end up in the right place blows me away every time I watch a game. You know what? You're right. I mean, think of the circuitry, the muscles, everything that goes into that moment. I don't, it'd be really hard to design anything that could do that, right? I remember you showing a, a video just a few weeks ago uh, online. Uh, it was Masoli Pass 
and he and it was just across the goal line. It was about knee high, per, the only place it could have been. Yeah. Receiver, I forget who it was, went down, made the catch for the touchdown. But it was like the perfect spot for the ball. Think about that, you know. Yeah, yeah. and the ability of the human eye to identify that location and then actually put it there is the thing that always blows me away too. But uh, I, I mean, quarterback nerd stuff we could go on about forever here. I want to know because I, I actually posted a clip of Doug Flutie the other day that a lot of people loved of him from the 96 Grey Cup in the snow in Hamilton against Edmonton. And it, yeah. it just jumped out to me because I was rewatching the game for fun. And, uh, and I went back and I saw, uh, you know, he's rolling to the right sideline and he, he knows he's going to get blasted, Mark. And he basically, he jumps because that's Doug. He jumps yeah. basically out of bounds. I don't know if it's half to protect himself or half to stay, whatever. That's just Doug. And he sidearms it. But as he's actually letting go of the ball, his head is already turned to protect himself. And he throws right. it about 25 yards down the field spiral into a receiver who makes a great grab. And I just sent it out and I said, rolling right at full speed on a field full of ice, knowing he's going to get blasted into his own bench, spiral, no look, sidearm, complete. And so it, there's moments like that where I'm watching and I go, man, there's not a lot of people that have ever played football that have done things like that, let alone in the CFL. Who is the player of the modern age, let's say 90s moving forward because of your, your time in the CFL and CBC, where you were just in awe of some of the things that they did? Well, I mean, Flutie, for one, I mean, the way he even drew up uh, offenses during the week because of what he saw uh, on game film. I mean, uh, Daryl Mitchell was a, was basically, a, a, you know, a scout receiver with the Argos uh, back in the early 2000s or late 90s, sorry. Um, he, uh, Doug kept noticing that, no, that he was always open. I mean, that guy set the rookie, the receiving record for the Argos. And, uh, it was, it was Flutie who kept saying, we need to start getting the ball to this guy, right. Cause he knows where to find the soft spots in the, in the zones. So he was always that, uh, that smart, uh, in terms of, uh, helping the coaches, uh, put game plans together. His brother, Darren is, you know, was like another quarterback on the field. I got to work. I got a chance to work with Darren, uh, doing the CFL on CBC. And, um, he's a guy that, you know, with Danny McManus, uh, McManus trusted him so well because he read the defense as well as Danny did. And so, I mean, he was always finding little spots here and there. An undersized receiver with not a lot of speed could be so prolific, right? Mm -hmm. So those two brothers uh, always uh, impressed me uh, in terms of their ability. Um, trying to think uh, who else uh, jumps out. Um, I mean, Damon, Damon Allen was um, uh, a great athlete, uh, a cat-like athlete who, um, you know, could, could, could escape pressures and uh, had such a long career. And as you know, in a sport like football, to be able to survive and, and keep playing that position, uh, you have to be a great athlete. And, and, and he did. Um, the guy that really, that really impressed me in terms of where he came from and what he became was Kerry Joseph as a quarterback. He'd spent six or seven years as a strong safety in the NFL. Then he came to the CFL. Think about that. Like he was six, six, seven years as a strong safety. He came up and it was Kent Austin, you know, his brilliance as a, as a, as a coordinator who, who, who shaped his mind to the Canadian game and gave him, you know, two reads on every play. And, and, and Kent, you know, sold him on that first read is 85%. I, it, but if it's not there, that's your go-to, right? It was always, and it was a way to like help him begin to see the Canadian game with all this motion, the extra player, the wider field, all that stuff. So there's a guy who maybe not wouldn't jump out at to most people, 
But what, what I found impressive was his ability to adapt from being a defensive player in the National Football League to a quarterback in the CFL. Yeah, that's am- it's amazing to think of the guys that have gone through. I was actually saying that to my fiance Marlene the, the other day because I saw a, an interview of Nick Marshall, who, of course, now is a defensive back for Saskatchewan. And I, right. said, I said, if you look at this guy, what position do you think he plays? She goes, pretty skinny, probably receiver. I go, yeah, not far off. Defensive back, I go, he happened to be a super successful quarterback at Auburn. Like, it's the opposite thing, right, of, of Kerry opposite. Joseph. But being able to see athleticism matter no matter what, albeit at different positions in different leagues, but that stuff does transition. And it just takes, it takes someone's eye to be able to trust and to see something that others don't, which I always appreciate in talent evaluation through the CFL draft. Otherwise, when somebody like, for example, Kent, he drafts Kay Okafor, who's this pretty dominant defensive lineman out of St. FX. And I sit down in the, in the draft interview that night, 10 minutes after he's taken him, I go, well, you must be excited. Add him to the pass rush, the rotation. He's going to be a dominant player. He goes, well, he's going to play tackle for us. He's going to be on the offensive side of the ball. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, good to know because I had no idea that that was even – he goes, no, no, I see it. I see it. I'm like, okay, let's, let's see it. And sure enough, he's turned into a very nice player for the Ticats and filled in for Chris Van Zyl when he was injured in 2019. So – uh, the ability right. of those talent guys to see through and to give people opportunities to be great is always inspiring, isn't it? It sure is. And, and like, uh, I mean, I, whenever I spoke with Kent Austin, I mean, I always felt like uh, he was dumbing it down for us all to, to understand because his, his brain operates on a whole other plane when it comes to offense. Uh, Mike Pringle is another guy that was pretty amazing. Uh, you know, a, a powerful running back who, who uh, played, you know, every down and, and was, took a beating and, and just kept, kept coming. Right. And uh, he was so, so reliable as a, as a back with the Owls and, uh, and so successful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was it that you enjoyed the most about calling CFL games? Um, well, I'll say this. I, I, I was so excited the first time I got in the broadcast booth and um, I got too excited. Like I, Every play seemed exciting. Every every moment was you know exciting, and and the and everybody used to joke. Uh, the, my producers would say, "Mark, you got to throttle back," like, th- and and that would actually come into the headset. Throttle back, throttle it back. Like you know, it's just the first quarter. So I I, I used to love just being up there. Um, I love the view because you know you know playing quarterback, it, you know the view is a whole different ball game uh, from being up above and, and seeing right. And, and, and being able to sort of like look and see where you think the ball might go. And, and, and so I just love the whole, and I love the um, camaraderie, the, the people uh, that you'd meet every week. Uh, I found CFL players so approachable and their stories. Uh, there were so many stories of, uh, you know, uh, from misfortune to fortune, you know, uh, reversal of fortune, uh, working with guys like Chris Walby. Um, who, uh, you know, had a great long career, uh, decorated lineman with the, the Blue Bombers and, and his point of view and his, and, and, and there was just kind of like this uh, brotherhood that we had every day on the, every week on the road. I mean, I'm, that's one of the things I really miss. Like I've got a picture right here. I'll show you this. This is the group right here, the, the last group I work with. Oh, yeah. And um, you can see uh, Darren and Greg Frere. Brian Williams. Millington's in there, yeah. right? and uh flutie and 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 like darren was so self-effacing and so much like darren i remember one time uh we're doing a game and we threw a highlight in at ron lancaster because um i I think doug may have broken one of his records or damon allen somebody did anyway and uh, we rolled this video and we came back out and, and darren goes 
what kind of a number is 23 for a quarterback? Like, just kind of, I go, your brother was 22. Like, <laughs> you go, right. You know, like he, or he'd, he'd call a play. He'd say, there's no way they're going to go deep on this play. And then they go deep for a touchdown. He'd say, like I said, you know, they're going deep. Like he was always so self-facing. Right. But he told so many stories, like the time that went with BC when he caught um, the McManus touchdown in the Western final in Calgary. Uh, that put uh, the uh, put Doug Flutie and the Stampeders out, and I remember it was uh, uh, last like last play of the game basically under the uprights in a crowd. McManus hits Flutie, touchdown, game's over, and Doug runs the length of the field from the Calgary bench into the BC pile, and he's pulling guys out like this, eh? And he gets to Darren. He goes, "Did you catch that?" And he goes, "Yeah." And he just he just threw him on the ground and walked off. Right? It was like great sibling rivalry in a professional environment right and like darren would tell us these stories about doug on a family cruise you know uh given his 12 year old nephew the gears in a basketball family basketball pickup game because he wasn't playing well enough you know like you know doug being the the the, the such the, uh, the the perfectionist you know the the competitive guy and darren being the other kind of oh well you know uh, we'll, we'll get it done somehow so anyways i love those stories i love the fraternity and um, and I love the game. You know, it's just a, it's such a great game. It's a great Canadian game. I was lucky enough to catch up with Darren on this podcast a couple of months ago when the Ticats drafted another Boston College uh, Eagle with their first overall pick. And uh, Darren had known Jake Bird and some of the family because uh, Darren's son had been playing at BC when Jake Bird had been there. And he actually played a role in letting Jake Bird know uh, your parents have a connection to Canada you're you're a canadian do you know this like in the cfl draft you can get drafted so so darren might actually be the reason why the tie cats had their number one overall pick be jake bird a big tight end hybrid receiver from uh from out there in boston college i would also say as well when i talk to him it feels like his boston accent has tripled uh since he left the canadian has it really from the canadian oh football he he sounds like he has been uh, in boston his entire life at this point I'd love to hear that accent now. Yeah, he's such a beauty. He's such a fun guy to be around, and he was such a great player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. such a great fun. player. They're fun guys. I, the last thing I want to ask you here on the way out, Mark, is uh, when I go back through and I watch these old great cups, it's great because sometimes I'll be able to find a version on YouTube uh, that is not just the game itself, but there's some commentary or maybe there's some production on the edges. And when CBC did the great cup classics, and they would have, you know, the, the intro of here's what the Grey Cup was, and here's a quick little primer on it. Enjoy. Then they throw on the replay. And at the end of the game, sometimes it would be a lead into, hey, here's what's coming up for you tomorrow. And this, there's so many layers to this, and I'm so excited to get to ask you this. But I have the clip in front of me here. I have it in my iTunes, and it's just labeled as Mark Lee sign-off. And I believe that it's for a Grey Cup classic that's from the 1950s or so. And it wraps up and it's you standing there with green screen otherwise and saying, thanks so much for enjoying our Grey Cup Classic. Uh, excited to be able to bring you Grey Cup Saturday coming up tomorrow. And then, of course, it's the big game coming up. Blah, 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 blah. And at the end, this is how you say goodbye to the viewers. I'm Mark Lee. Thanks for watching. And have a good sleep. <laughs> have a good sleep is the, the greatest sign off I think I have ever heard where you are saying it's a Friday night on CBC and you... I just love it because the layers of it is, oh, I know you guys are coming back. Like, I'll, I'll, see, you here. I'll see you here tomorrow. I'll be right here tomorrow. Have a good sleep. Yeah. It, it reminds me of there was a woman that used to work at the Wendy's drive-thru in Kingston, Ontario one day, who when, when we would go through, her thing was always, she would say, there you go. See you tomorrow. And my mom would always, yeah. my mom would always go, 
the hell she thinks we're coming back tomorrow and i was like hey listen it's her tagline it's how she's bringing you back but i don't know if you remember that if there's an explanation that matters for that i just love that clip and i laugh at it if i'm in a bad mood i put on mark lee's sign off to have a good sleep (laughs) and it just makes me happy that's funny i i I totally forgotten about that you know you do so many uh of these classics the week of Grey cup week and, and tapings and stuff like that uh but uh that's funny no i I remember doing those and I, and I remember how uh, we always wanted to, um, to uh, keep the record alive, you know, the, the classics, you know, to, to, uh, to, to take us back to the fifties and the mud bowls and the fog bowls and the, you know, and, and, and the great athletes. And, and that's, I think that's, what's really important to, you know, for Canadian football is to, is to keep us all in touch with all the great heroes from the past, because, they've contributed to the, the great history of this game. And, and uh, so for me, I, I became a, a real his, historical kind of buff with, with uh, football and Grey Cup. And uh, I remember actually interviewing George Reed uh, when I was in university with a tape reporter and the batteries died. And I got back to the station and it was all like really slow. And I was heartbroken, right? Because uh, he was a hero and he won the game. And, and, but still, uh, you know, those guys, when you meet them uh, 20 years later, after they played, they're still bigger than life, right? You, you still celebrate who they are. And so that was always important to me. To, uh, to, and I love being part of the classics to, to uh, celebrate uh, the history of this great game. Yeah, I'm with you. And I can't wait if I ever get the opportunity to do any one of those promos on a, on a Grey Cup weekend where we're playing a classic. I am absolutely going to say, have a good sleep. I am going to do that. And it's going to be an ode to Mark Lee, and nobody's going to understand it other than you. And I'm going to send you the clip and go, there, I finally did it. You and I will both know what's going on. <laughs> Mark, safe <laughs> travels. Thank you for this. All the best. I know you're going to have a, a blast over there in Japan, despite the fact that there's a lot of stuff surrounding you. You do such a yeah. great job calling all those events, and uh, it's always fun to catch up with you. Marshall, uh, likewise, thanks so much. It's, it's a great to, to chat with you, and hopefully we'll uh, cross paths again this football season on the College Gridiron. Wow. Too much fun. Mark Lee is one of those people that every time I get around, I can't believe how much fun it is to just sit down and talk about football. Just talk about sports. Sometimes talk about life and the way that life and sports and football intersect in so many unique ways. He is an unbelievable talent, and I still love tuning into a sporting event on CBC, whether it be the Olympics, the uh, track and field events, and the Diamond League, or World Championships of some random sporting event, and you hear Mark Lee's voice. And I think if you're like me, it makes you feel pretty at home to know that Mark Lee is still out here doing it and still doing it at an extremely high level. I hope you enjoyed the Olympics conversation as well because I think behind the scenes, understanding what they are up against on top of the normal workload and the craziness, that's tough as a broadcaster. That really truly is. And he's going to handle it like a pro's pro that he is. But he will never, never, never be able to uh, take back what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks here because it is going to be so different from any sporting event that I think he's ever covered in his long storied career. Thank you for tuning in and thank you as always for supporting us here at Canadian Football Perspective as our sponsors and partners do. Fox 40, don't forget fox40shop.com and enter that promo code CFP15 for 15% off all of your whistle needs. And of course, Sawdust City, if you want to check out any of the reviews of their beers, we've got our Sawdust City Happy Hour tastings. They're on YouTube on our channel. Just search Canadian Football Perspective. You can find the playlist there. we got about 15 or so of those of me sitting down with Sam Corbet, the uh, wonderful brewmaster and co-founder of Sada City Brewing. 
There's a little bit of everything for you there. And if you want to order some up to get yourself ready for the CFL season, go to SadaCityBeer.com and punch in the promo code CFL. This is it until Tuesday when Wade and Connor take over for you on All Canadian, myself and Derek Taylor, teeing up the CFL season coming up on Wednesday right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Thank you.